What will people say about you after you're gone? The truth is, whether we like it or not, our time here on earth is fleeting. And so when you're gone, on that day, as people reflect on your life, what will be the overarching theme? What's the one thing that people will will remember about you once you're gone? Maybe a better way to ask this question would be to say, what's your legacy going to be like? What legacy will you leave when you are gone? I've pondered this question this week a little bit. I've thought about this with my own life. If I was gone and there was one overarching thing that people had to say about me, what would it be? And as I've thought about this, I I probably couldn't give you an answer, and it kind of scares me, right? Scares us to think about what legacy we'll leave. We all want to leave a good legacy. Nobody wants to leave behind a a bad legacy. And if you've been with us for the last 11 weeks, we've spent a lot of time talking about the life of an incredible man, this man, David. And throughout this series, we've covered so many incredible highs and a lot of really low lows, haven't we? We've seen story after story just of this incredible character. And this morning, we're kind of going to wrap up this whole thing because David's life is ended. We've come to the point in the story now where his life has ended. And so what we're going to do, it's just going to be a brief message. And then we've got a closing thing that we're doing. And I'll talk about that later. But just to recap this life. We come to a point in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 10, where we read this. It says, Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. This is the end of his life. So at the very end of his life, as we think through all the things that we could say about David, what's the one thing we would say? What would be his legacy? Now, for those of you who are here, maybe you should have a lot of things rolling through your head, right? Eleven weeks is a long time to talk about one dude. If you don't have anything in your head, you may have been sleeping, and that would be really depressing to me if I knew that you were sleeping for 11 straight weeks. But there's a lot we could say. So just this little refresher, I've got six things I want to just mention to kind of jog your memory, and then we'll hopefully come to a conclusion. So what are some things we could say about David? Well, number one, he's a faithful shepherd. Kids know this. We know this part of David's story really easily. Like we, We're all aware of the fact that David was a shepherd early on in the story when we first began this. Right? David was always with the sheep. Like big things would be going on and nobody would know where David was because he was with the sheep. There was a big celebration at his father Jesse's house during the anointing of the new king. And David wasn't there because he was out with the sheep. And then right after that we read of a big battle. And, and at this battle David wasn't there because he's going back and forth between the sheep. And at one point, Saul is looking for him in chapter 17, and he says, where's David? And they said, I think he's with the sheep. David was always with the sheep. He was a faithful shepherd, did his job well. And what's interesting in this story is even after he had to leave the flock, right, Saul started chasing him, and so David could not be tending the flock anymore. What happened in the story of David was he was still a faithful shepherd. He just stopped shepherding sheep and started shepherding people. We, we read in chapter 22, It says this of David. This is when he's running from Saul. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul, they gathered to him, and he became commander over them. And there were about 400 men. So think about this. David is running from Saul. And all of a sudden you've got 400 guys. They're kind of like... 
You ever watch the little, uh, the claymation, isn't it, the one at Christmas time? Which one is it where there's like an island of misfits? It's kind of like that, right? All these people are just coming to David. These people have nowhere to go. Uh, they're bitter in soul. They're in debt. They're in distress. They start following him around. Now, most people like me, I'd be like, hey, dudes, I'm running from Saul. I don't need all you guys who are struggling. But David embraces these men, and he spends time with these men, and he shepherds these men. They follow him around for years, eight years. And by the time we get to the end of our story in, in 2 Samuel chapter 23, which is one of those chapters which are the appendices I talked about last week. I told you I'd reference some of these things. At this point in the story, we read about a list of mighty men. These are the very same men, the men who are in distress and in debt and bitter of soul. They become these mighty warriors of valor because David shepherds them throughout their life. And so one of the big things we could say about David, he was a faithful shepherd. That was part of his heart. He wanted to shepherd people and sheep, and that was just who he was. That was one thing. We could also say about David, though, he was a a fearless soldier, couldn't we? We love these different stories of David because there's so many great battles and fights, and David is such a tremendous character. He he once wrestled uh, a bear and a lion to try to save some of his sheep, and we know the story of David and Goliath. He enters into battle bravely, even though he's... He's not nearly the size of Goliath. He comes in and he knows that that God is going to have his back, that he's going to be trusting in God through that. We know he bravely heads into battle in several situations. David was fearless, a fearless soldier, because he knew he fought the Lord's battles. And so David could go into the battle knowing that he could trust in God. And we read throughout the Psalms numerous times where David was in trouble. And in those moments, who was he clinging to? God. So we could describe him that way as well. He was a fearless soldier. We could also describe him as a forbearing sufferer. A forbearing sufferer. You want to look at the life of someone who suffered? Just look at the life of David. David, for years, countless years, was suffering at the hands of Saul. And after he suffered at the hands of Saul, we see later in his life, who does he suffer him? Well, the hands of his own family. David is now being hunted and pursued by his children who are trying to steal the crown from David. David is a man who knows what suffering is all all about, and yet in the midst of his suffering, he's still clinging to God. So for those of you in the room maybe who've been going through a rough season, maybe you're struggling in your life, maybe you've had a a, a time period where, where things are just falling apart in your life, David is a phenomenal character that we can look to and know, you know what, he suffered well. He endured that suffering. So we could say that about David. We could also say he was a formidable superior, right? We could say this about David. David was one powerful king. As we read through the life of David, we know that he struck fear in his enemies. There were people around him. In fact, at that point, for 40 years, he was the most powerful man on the face of the earth. We could say this about him. It says at one point in 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 14, it says, And the Lord gave David victory wherever he went. David was a powerful king, so we could certainly say this about him as well, couldn't we? We also could mention, and we should mention, the fact that he was not perfect. We know as many great things as we can say about David, we also know he was a flawed servant. He was a man who sinned greatly. In the story we get to with Bathsheba, we see in one fell swoop, David commits adultery and then murder and then theft. He steals Uriah's wife. 
And not only that, there are numerous times throughout the narrative, even sections we didn't talk about. In those appendices, again, there's a, a moment when David, he, he, he issues a census, and this is something that God did not desire for him to do. We see moments in, in his parenting where he fails as a parent because he lets his kids do whatever they want. It even says that in the text at one point. David was a flawed man. He was a sinner. He was a lot like us. Yet despite some of those flaws, we also know that God did not always treat David as his sins deserved. In the story of David, we see at one point that, that God had cast David's sin as far as the east is from the west, uh, which brings us to the sixth point. David was also a forgiven saint. Because we know in the story of David, after he failed by committing adultery and murder and theft, God's hand, it says in the Psalms, were heavy upon David. And in that moment, David confessed his sin to the Lord. He repented of his sin, and it says in the, the text that God removed David's sin from him. In fact, we read in the Psalms, which are a great resource as we're going through this series, Psalm 32.5, that David says this, I acknowledged my sin to you, God. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So even though David messed up big time, even though David was a very flawed individual, we also know that he was a forgiven man. That God forgave him and used him for his purposes. And so in light of all these things we could say about David... Looking at the highs and lows, just taking a few minutes to recap some of his story, what would you say would be the one thing that we should say about David? If we had to come up with one primary thing that we could say about this man at, regarding his legacy, now that he's gone, what would we say? Well, as I look at the pages of Scripture, I think there's one thing for me that stands out. One primary characteristic that made David truly special in the eyes of God. And if you want to turn with me and see that, go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13. If you didn't bring a Bible from home, you can use the seatback Bibles in front of you. If, if you don't have a physical Bible, you're welcome to take that Bible home with you, one of the Bibles in front of you. That's our gift to you. You can also use our mobile app, and uh, we've got a built-in Bible there too. But usually I try to remind people, don't hit the little voice button at the bottom because then I'll start talking out loud in church and that's super embarrassing so try not to hit that button it's all good though 1 Samuel 13 now in this section of scripture this should be familiar to us we have a, a moment in David's uh, life where it, actually in fact in the story David hasn't even popped up yet in 1 Samuel but it's a moment where he's still with the sheep, and during this season, we have a current king named Saul who is beginning to mess things up in Israel. Instead of following what God has told him to do, Saul begins operating autonomously. He himself is the one who he believes can take matters into his own hands, doesn't need to listen to anybody else. Saul is going to do what Saul wants to do, and so he begins to deliberately disobey the commandments of the Lord and in anticipation of a new king who God has chosen. We begin to hear God describe for us David, and God looks forward to a different kind of leader, one that's not like Saul, one that's not willing to, to do whatever he wants, but someone who has a different way of operating, someone that wants to follow God's will. 
And what we see in chapter 13, verse 14, is God has made a specific observation about the kind of person that David is, and this is what it says. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. If I had to think through the one thing that I would say would be the legacy that David leaves, it would be this. David was a man after God's own heart. So many things we could highlight, so many things we could say. This right here, I believe this is primary. He's a man after God's own heart. Now, I love the story of David. Uh, For me, this is one of the first stories that I really grabbed onto when I was a young man. I read through his story, and I got to the point where it talked about uh, David being a man after God's own heart, and I thought, that sounded awesome. I wanted to be that kind of man. Problem is, I didn't really know what it meant. What does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? What would, what would that mean to be someone that, that has God's own heart? And for me, as I, I try to think through this, I think we get a little hint in the New Testament. So if you're in 1 Samuel 13, flip to Acts 13 now. This is obviously many years after David is dead and gone. And as David's character is being des- described very briefly... The Apostle Paul gives us some insight. And so in chapter 13, beginning in verse 16, the Apostle Paul, he is preaching to a group of people in Antioch, a Pisidia. And he's, he's in a synagogue there, he's preaching, and he's talking about some of Israel's history. And let's just read this together, and hopefully we'll get a little more understanding of perhaps what it means to be a man after God's own heart. It says this, Men of Israel, and you who... Fear God. Listen, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. And this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who, or for 40 years. And, and when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And then notice what he adds. He says, who will do all my will. Now Paul here, he's... He's quoting a story from the Old Testament. Clearly through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's revealing truth to us, and he qualifies that expression, a man after God's own heart, by saying, someone who will do all my will. And as I think through this story of David, I think this is the key. What does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? I think the general direction of your life is bent on doing the will of God. This is what it means. It means you're the type of man or woman who's chosen to love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates and do the things that God has commanded you. This is what it means to be a man or woman after God's own heart. And this is the reason why every time we read this phrase, it's always positioned between a contrast between Saul and David. Saul was the kind of king who was bent on doing his own will, doing things his own way. But see, David was different. God rejected Saul through his disobedience. God selected David because of his obedience. 
And so this is what it means to be a man after God's own heart. We see in the life of David, David was someone who his whole life was centered upon doing the will of God. That's what it meant for him to be a man after God's own heart. Now you might suggest, how could David be a man after God's own heart in the midst of his sin? That's a good point. I don't think that as David was standing on the rooftop, lusting after Bathsheba, and then inviting her to come over, and then sleeping with her, and then murdering her husband, and then trying to cover the whole thing up, I don't think in that moment he was really living out this whole man after God's own heart thing. I think he was messing up big time. And the challenge is, is when we look at a character like David, we realize he was flawed. And I don't think we can look for perfection in his life. I don't want to look at perfection in the life of David. I want to look at direction. Yes, he failed. Yes, he messed up. But see, how did he recover after that? I'll be honest. So often in my life, in the moments where I have engaged in serious sin and I have fallen, my natural tendency is to want to continue to veer off in the wrong direction. But David never did that. As soon as David was confronted and repented of his sin, he continued in the direction, the course that he had. This is what it meant to be a man after God's own heart. And and the truth is, there's only one who's ever attained perfection. There's only one who's ever attained that. This is the promised one from the line of David, Jesus Christ. He is the only one who's ever perfectly accomplished God's will, even when it came to suffering. In fact, this morning, as we heard earlier in the worship service, we are reminded about Palm Sunday. And at this point, Jesus was headed on a road to Jerusalem, ready not to accomplish his own desires, was he? But to accomplish the will of the one who sent him. Jesus Christ came, and then only a few days after, he was in a garden. And there in that place, with all the pressure of everything he was about to face, he stood there before his father and said, Father, I don't want to go through this suffering. I know what it's going to take. This is going to be a challenging thing, Father. I realize the pain and the hardship I'm about to go through. But Father, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And this Jesus accomplished the full will of his Father by taking our place on the cross so that we might have life and life everlasting. That's what we're reminded of this week. Jesus is the only one who truly, completely, in every aspect of his life, models what it it means to be a man after God's own heart. Because he perfectly accomplishes his Father's will. So despite our failures this morning, Despite David's failures, we, like David, we can have hope. We can praise God that Jesus has given us hope. He's given us life. He's given us new purpose. He's given us direction. He has given us the opportunity to leave a legacy. I don't know if you've thought about that question about what your legacy will be when you're gone. Maybe you've had all kinds of great things in your head, right? It's, it's tough as dads. We want you know leave that legacy for our kids. Maybe that they would be a good athlete, that they'd see that in us, or all these other things we might desire. But of all the things that you desire, I, I hope and pray that the greatest aspiration for your legacy is that you would be a man or a woman after God's own heart who desires to carry out God's will above all else. This is our big idea this morning as we wrap up. Pursue God's own heart. 
This is the legacy that I desire to leave behind for my kids when I'm gone. This is the legacy that I've been praying that would be left by you, by this church. So what legacy will you leave? See, in the life of David, of all the things we see, we saw he was a man after God's own heart, and this is what I desire for us. And so this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and then I want to talk just real briefly. I want to invite, actually, uh, someone to come and share. And they're going to talk a little bit about a few things that really kind of tie into this as well, about what it means to have God's own heart and to, to love the things that God loves and to leave a legacy. And so I'll pray, wrap up, and then we'll have that. So let's pray together. Father, just thank you for this morning. As we gather and, and prepare for more worship and then prepare to, to hear more information at the end, Father, I thank you that in this series we have seen so many awesome examples, Father, of this man who in so many ways looks like us. He is not perfect, Father, but you've chosen your servant David who carried out your will, who did your purposes and accomplished what you desired for him to do. And Father, I thank you that you use people who are flawed for your purposes. And this morning, if there are people in this room who are feeling the weight of, of sin and struggling, Father, I pray that they would look to your son Jesus, that they would rely on his perfection, that they look at his obedience and realize that, Father, that where they fall short, Jesus prevails. Father, we have victory in Jesus Christ. We're, according to your word, called overcomers in Christ Jesus. I praise you and thank you for that incredible truth that when we look to Christ, Father, we see this hope that, Father, that you have transformed us, that you have exchanged our sinfulness for his righteousness, that, Father, that the righteousness of your son Jesus has been imputed to us by faith in him. And I pray this morning that for those of us who've been transformed by grace and changed and given the righteousness of your son Jesus, I pray that, Father, that the direction, the course of our life would be doing your will, that that would be the legacy we leave behind, that, Father, that we would be men and women after your own heart. So that's what I pray for this morning, Father. I thank you for uh, this series, and I thank you for this week now as we look in anticipation of the, the death, burial, and resurrection of your son Jesus. So we give this time to you, Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.